You are listening to the LifePoint Church Sermon of the Week. For more resources, visit us at lifepoint.cc. This is a special moment in worship today. Um, and uh, I always, I'm so um, encouraged by the God's grace for us to give us, gift us those moments, as Drew was saying, that we can sing a song like that we've sang a thousand times, How Great Is Our God. And we can sing it corporately, and God uh, can say, can, is the only one who can speak of his own greatness. But listen, then there's each one of us that can speak of God's greatness that's been shown in our lives individually. And so we can all sing the same song for different reasons. When in reality, we all have the same story, don't we? And we overcome the enemy with the power of his blood and the word of our testimony. And that testimony is that I was lost, but he found me. I was an orphan, and he took me in. I was alone, and he loved me. That I was addicted, and he freed me. Amen? So we can sing this song to beautiful Jesus. This one who looked upon a pitiable people, unable to save themselves, and said, for love, for love, I will give my life. So that's why we can, we can agree with the words of Jesus that say, those who have been forgiven much, love much. And that's why we worship, because we love this Jesus. We love this one. I hope this morning, if you're visiting with us this morning, I hope you see nothing else except for Jesus today. I, don't, I hope you don't see a church that's got it all together, has all the bells and whistles, has slick strategies and graphics, but instead you see Jesus this morning. He's the one that we're lifting high. He is the one who is worthy of our worship, of our attention, of, our glory, of his glory. Amen. It's only Jesus. So I hope this morning that you will see Jesus today. Some Sunday, it'd be amazing just to hear, we could have testimony after testimony of each one of us coming up and sharing what the Lord has done in our lives. And we'd hear stories of God's faithfulness, his grace in our lives. But as God, as we come into relationship with him, we experience the transformational power of the gospel. We experience communion with him. And he begins to transform us. He, he washes our sin away by, the, by his blood. And we begin to journey with him. And as we journey with him, he begins to rub the, the rough edges off. He begins to point to things in our life. And oftentimes when we think about that, we think about just areas of sin, things that are not pleasing to him. But as we walk with him, he does do that, but he also shows us wounds in our hearts. He shows places that we've been avoiding for years. We've been trying to just sweep under the rug and pretend it's not there. So this morning, I want to talk to you about the, power, or the problem of unforgiveness and the power of forgiveness. The problem with unforgiveness and the power of forgiveness. We've all experienced pain. We've all experienced wounds. I, I come to you this morning not as one who is unempathetic to the wounds that you face in your life. I've experienced betrayal. I experienced a mother who took her own life when I was a young man. 
I've had friends turn their back on me, stab me in the back. I've had people say things about me that weren't true behind my back. I've been looked over. I've been passed over. I've been abused. And so I don't come to you this morning just with a callous message of just forgive, just get over it without acknowledging the pain that it's caused in your life. But what happens is we experience these wounds that may be out of our control. Someone does something to you. And how we respond is a determining factor because there's this principle in God's kingdom, the kingdom of sowing and reaping. And how we respond begins to sow seeds in the ground for good or bad. And we will reap a harvest for years to come unless Jesus, unless we allow Jesus to intervene. Jesus is the one who breaks the strongholds. Jesus is the one who can take the Roundup, the cancer-free Roundup, and spray it on the weeds. <laughs> and put new seeds into the ground. It's only Jesus. But I've, in my own life, experienced this, but I meet with people weekly who share with me the fruit that they're experiencing from these wounds whether it's unwanted behavior of addiction, patterns in their, uh, of, of unhealthy thinking, dysfunction in relationships, dysfunction in marriage, a, a constant fear of vulnerability and transparency in their life, on and on it, go, it goes. And so we spend this time, we just try to, 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 to cut the fruit off before it gets too big, instead of uprooting the entire thing and planting something new and beautiful. You know, Jesus was emphatic about forgiveness. In Matthew 6, we have the, the Lord's Prayer, which we could all probably recite in this place. But then after the Lord's Prayer, in verse 14 of Matthew 6, it says, For if you do not forgive other people when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also. For if you forgive others when, other people when they sin against you, your Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others, of their sin, your father will not forgive you of your sins. In Matthew 18, he tells this story of the unforgiving servant or the unmerciful servant, this servant of some high court in some kingdom, some fictional kingdom, who's in charge over overseeing millions of dollars, what would be the equivalent of actually billions of dollars. And he comes into debt with the king of over what would be like $2 billion today, some insurmountable amount of money. And he doesn't ask for forgiveness from the king. He just basically says, I'm going to pay you back. I'm going to pay you back. I'll pay you back eventually. Just let me work. I'll pay it back, which is not possible. When the king says, I'm going to forgive you of your debt. And this servant goes on with his life and there's someone who owes him money and it comes out to be about 20 bucks. Somebody owes him 20 bucks and he has no time. He has no, no forgiveness for that person, no mercy, no grace for that person. So much that he, he has the person thrown in jail until they can pay him back his $20. The king hears about this and says, how can you be so unmerciful, so unforgiving? You wicked servant, he says. 
And he calls the, the jailers and they come and take this man to jail. And it says in verse 35 of Matthew 18, this is how my heavenly father will treat you unless you forgive your brothers and sisters from your heart. Matthew 7, Jesus talks about judge lest you be judged. On and on it goes throughout scripture about the, the, this directive of to forgive. But how come it's not that easy? <laughs> Just forgive. Just forgive. I've been around long enough to know that just because the Bible tells us to do something isn't enough for a lot of people just to do it. I wish it was. I wish it, wish it was in my own life. For some wounds, maybe the more surface level wounds, it is as easy as just forgiving. And as the Lord heals wounds in your heart, you actually live a lifestyle of forgiveness. But for some of us, we walk around so wounded. It's like this, this cascade, this waterfall. We can't, it's overwhelming. But the Lord wants us to, to begin to heal. He wants to begin to heal those wounds in our heart. We need to face the pain and we need to grieve the loss of relationship, the loss of whatever happened, the events that occurred. We need to experience the comfort of when people come alongside of us. We need to have perspective from heaven on the situations. But there is no such thing as forgive and forget. It's a shallow form of forgiveness just to say, just forget, just get over it. And that's what a lot of people in their minds or have been told. And so we just, just bottle it up like a good Midwesterner, right? Just bottle it up, just shove it down there so deep, just get it down there. And, the, and then the only emotion that ever comes out is anger just angry all the time. There's no such thing as forgive and forget, and this is not the nature of the gospel. The nature of the gospel is this, that we have wronged him, that we have sinned against him, that we have offended a perfect God. But even though it was wrong, he forgave us. It's not minimizing the offense. Instead, it's saying there's something more powerful than this offense, and that is love. That is love. Jesus hates unforgiveness in the same way he hates sin. He hates it because it separates us from him. He hates it because it's an, an offense to his holiness. But in the same way he hates sin, he hates it because of what it does to us. We see several times throughout the Gospels Jesus being grieved by the effects of sin in the world. When he's going to the tomb of Lazarus to raise him from his friend from the dead, it says that Jesus wept and he's weeping over the the, the, the centuries of, of, of sin and the, uh, seeing the effects of sin on the world, the, the loss, the destruction, the death. After he rides the donkey in the, the triumphal processional, it says again, he weeps over the city. He weeps over the people. Again, because he sees the, the effects of sin and he knows what needs to be done about it. He hates our sin. I hate, you know, I hate cancer. I hate it. 
I hate cancer. I've seen enough people die of cancer. The slow decay of a life, the, 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 the destruction that comes from the inside out. I hate, I hate cancer. I've seen what it does to families. I've seen what it does to friends and people. I hate cancer. And sin is a cancer to your life. It will destroy you from the inside out. Unforgiveness will destroy you from the inside out. So my hope this morning is not, my hope this morning is to convince you that, that the dealing of your wounds and facing the pain that's caused by them in order to find forgiveness is far better than the ongoing pain and collateral damage you experience if you continue to hold on to them. It's painful to have to face the past. We can't just hakuta matata our way through life. Pretend it didn't happen. We all have this place within us that we have to face eventually. And the, the problem is, is that we're reaping a harvest now of avoiding it. It'll rob your joy and steal your peace. distort your vision of others and, and of God. So I want to ask you this question this morning. Do you want to be like Jesus? Do you want to be like Jesus? Because he's not asking you to do anything that he's not already done. That's a question I ask myself often throughout the day. When someone's being a jerk, do I want to be like Jesus? When things don't work out the way that I wanted them to, do I want to be like Jesus? Because if I can't answer yes to that question, I have bigger problems than the things that are standing in front of me. I need to get on my face before him so I can answer that question emphatically. Yes, Jesus, my aim is to be like you. Over the past few weeks, Pastor Drew has been taking us through 1 Peter 3. And a couple weeks ago, he read to us 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 21. It'll be on the screen. It says this, To, to this you were called, because Christ suffered for you, leaving you an example that you should follow in his steps. He committed no sin and no deceit was found in his mouth. When they hurled insults at him, he did not retaliate. When he suffered, he made no threats. Instead, he entrusted himself to the one who judges justly. He himself bore our sins in his body on a cross so that you, we might die to sin and live for righteousness. By his wounds, you have been healed for you are like sheep and have gone astray but now you've been returned to the shepherd and the overseer of our souls. So I want to ask you again, do you want to be like Jesus? We were called, we are called, to this you were called, this is Peter, to this you were called, to be like Jesus. To look to him as an example of how we should live and follow in his steps. And he did not retaliate, but instead he entrusted himself to the one who judges justly. He entrusted himself to the one who judges justly. I think there's many of us that really doubt God's ability to judge. 
Maybe he's not who he says he is. But we see in this one Jesus, our elder brother, he entrusted himself to the one who judges justly. So I want to ask you again, do you want to be like Jesus? Do you want to be like Jesus? If the answer is yes, then we need to ask him, Lord, search me and know me. See if there's any wicked way in me and lead me in the way of the everlasting. Lord, if there's wounds in my heart, if there's places that are not pleasing to you, if there's unforgiveness, bitterness, resentment, Lord, I want to know, I want to see it. It's affecting my life, whether I like it, want it to or not. It's having a profound effect on the way that I view you, on the way that I view people, on the way that I view myself. So Lord, show me. Lord, and I pray this morning you would show us now. In Jesus' name. Everything that needs to be accomplished won't be accomplished through a message this morning. But instead, I I pray, Lord, that there will be a grace that is poured out on my friends this morning to face the things with your help that needs to be faced so that healing can come. You are not just the healer of our bodies, but you are the healer of our minds, the healer of our hearts. It's you, Jesus. It's you. This morning, I want to answer this question. Why is unforgiveness such a big deal? And I, I just want you to, as I'm, as I'm sharing, there's four things. As I'm sharing, if there's anything that pricks your heart, I want you just to take note of that and just write it down. If there's anything that strikes a chord in you, I want you just to write it down. The Holy Spirit, I have found, in all the countless hours that I meet with people and that the Holy Spirit is the best guide. He is the best counselor. He knows your issue and he knows the answer. So that's why we submit ourselves to him. And we don't just uh, take shots in the dark hoping that we'll hit it, but instead we say, Holy Spirit, show us. And he does. And he gives you the grace for what you need to face right now. And by his grace, he doesn't show us it all at once, thank the Lord. Amen, right? There's seasons where God says, I'm gonna do surgery on this part right now. We'll save that for later. We're gonna do surgery on this part. And he gives us the grace to do that. So what is the big deal with unforgiveness? Why is it such a detriment? Why is it so damaging to our lives? I'll probably move pretty quickly here. The first reason is it removes Jesus from his judgment throne, and it puts us there instead. We as believers, we put Jesus at the center. He sits on the throne of our heart. And so we give him access to all areas. In Acts chapter 10, verse 42, it says this, he commanded us to preach to the people and to testify that he is the one whom God appointed as judge of the living and the dead. All the prophets testify about him that everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins through his name. Jesus is the only rightful judge. He is the only one who has earned that position of authority as judge to be able to judge rightly. And actually in Isaiah 11, which is a prophecy about Jesus, it says he doesn't need people, he doesn't even need anyone to tell him what's right and what's wrong. But he judges by his own righteousness. 
by his own nature, just by who he is. It just like justice, perfect justice just comes out of him. He is the only rightful judge. And so when we say, Jesus, I, actually, I want to be the judge. I want, I want you to just move off the, the throne. I want to sit on the throne of judgment. All of a sudden, we start making determinations about people's identity that he has not made. We start making determinations about people's identity rather than, and, and unable to separate it from their behavior. Instead of saying, that person lied to me, we say, that person's a liar. And we condemn them. In our hearts, we condemn them. And this is what Jesus is talking about in, in Matthew 7, about judging. It's condemnation. It's not that someone wronged me, but they are someone who, they are a wrongdoer. It's a, a statement about their identity that Jesus has not made. So much of our life is uncovering the truth that God has spoken over you, what he says about you, more than the daily affirmations in the mirror about hearing from God what he is speaking over your life. For me, there was a season of my life where I had to, where everything came crashing down. I said, Lord, I remember in my basement screaming out to the Lord, Lord, who am I? Who am I? I don't have any idea who I am. And the Lord just speaking one word, son, son. And I remember just, oh, I was so annoyed by that answer. Like, God, yeah, I know, I get that. I know that. I know I'm a son. I know, and I preach it. I, I know. No, no, you don't get it. You're a son. You're a son. You're not, you're not Pastor Tony. You're not husband Tony. You're not father Tony. You're not friend Tony. You're son. And it's in those moments where God speaks and reveals to us the identity that's been spoken of our life before we were conceived in our mother's womb. He had written it about us, that, that it's this moment of freedom. And so who am I? to speak things against a people, against people that God has not said, that God has not spoken. It is only he who is the rightful judge. It is only Jesus. The second thing is this. It brings me into agreement with the enemy. What does Jesus say in John 8? And you shall know the truth and the truth will set you free. So if the truth sets us free, then what do lies do? They keep us in bondage. They keep us prisoners. And it's what we live, we live our lives based on what we believe is true. Like we might in our minds say, this is what I believe in true, but it is true. But in your life, you, you will live out what you actually believe is true. And so we come into agreement with the enemy about maybe what he's speaking about you. You're not worthy of love. You are the problem. And this is what the enemy loves to do. He likes to, he's the snake. And so what he likes to do is he comes up and he bites you. He does something to you. And then he accuses man to God and God to man. <laughs> he says, God, how could God let this happen? And he goes to God, God, look at how they reacted. This is the way, this is the lies of the enemy, the deception of the enemy. So we come into agreement with the enemy over things that are spoken over our lives, things spoken to us about God. 
that he's not trustworthy. He's hiding something from you. He's keeping something from you. He's abandoned you. He's rejected you. And we believe those lies. We come into agreement with what the enemy is saying. And I don't know about you, but I just, that is a place that I want to be so far from. Any place of agreement with the enemy. I want to come into alignment with the truth because what happens? Jesus is the truth. What happens when we come into alignment with the truth? It sets us free. He sets us free. And so we say, Jesus, I want to be aligned with your truth. During worship, the Lord spoke to me a word for someone. It said, he said, you are not your father's sin. You are not your father's sin. He's writing a new story over your life. He's giving you a new song to sing. He is breaking the power of patterns that have happened through generations. It stops with you. We come out of agreement with the lies of the enemy and we come into agreement with the truth of God that's been spoken over our lives. That you are a son, you are a daughter, you are redeemed, you are restored that he knows every hair on your head. He sees every thought that you think. And he loves you despite that. <laughs> on your worst day, he's the one that loves you the most. He has not changed his mind about you. He has not forgotten you. But instead, he's inviting you. And this is the, this is the place that the Lord is always, his grace, his mercy is inviting you in. Saying, don't run, child, don't run, child, don't run, child. Come close, come close, come close. Look me in the eyes. Third thing is this. Unforgiveness destroys my faith. Luke 6, verse 43 and verse 45 says, no good tree bears bad fruit nor does a bad tree bear good fruit. Each tree is recognized by its own fruit. People do not pick feeds from thorn bushes or grapes from briars. A good man brings good things out of the good stored up in his heart. An evil man brings evil things out of the evil stored up in his heart. For the mouth speaks what the heart is full of. Some say this is a reference to Matthew chapter 6 when Jesus is talking about going into the secret place, the, the, the quiet place of prayer. And this is where one of the places where faith is built. One is among community, but another is in that deep fellowship that comes with one-on-one -on -one relationship with the Lord. Faith is the reality of Jesus. When Jesus becomes real in your life, more real than the situations and circumstances that you face, he becomes real. And it's in that secret place the Lord begins to reveal the secrets of his kingdom and the secrets about what he thinks about you, not like this extra revelation or extra truth. But he begins to reveal the secrets of who you are. And your faith is cultivated and built. But many think that, many scholars think that in Matthew chapter 6, when he says, go into your room, he's not talking about your bedroom, he's talking about the storeroom. He's talking about this place where you actually keep your most prized possessions. Those things, those costly, expensive things, you keep them, it's like if you had a safe room in your house. 
That was like the storeroom. You go into that place. And every time you go into that place, you're expecting to find something valuable. And so the good that's stored up in your heart are the things that are going to come out. But unforgiveness will destroy your faith. It will hinder your ability to see Jesus clearly and cause you to doubt his strength and his power. Because you view life through these tinted lenses. And we come to expect the worst from people, from life, from God, and extend, instead of believing for the best. We begin to live our life expecting for the worst. Men are not trustworthy. They'll always let me down. People will reject me. No one will take me seriously, and on and on and on and go. And so you actually live your life expecting people. And by the pattern of your life, you're inviting people into treating you the way that you don't want to be treated. <laughs> you're actually tempting someone to treat you in that way. Now, they have their own free will. But you're actually tempting people to do that. And it puts you in this victim, victim state, this victim mentality, which I have found to be one of the most dangerous mentalities to, um, for someone to take on because it paralyzes you. It paralyzes you. It also justifies our responses. When I'm, I'm talking with my kids, it happens literally every day. They're screaming at each other and, or something happens, and I'll say, okay, what happens? What happened? They did this, and then the other one responds, well, I did that because they did that. And all of a sudden, because they weren't the first one, they weren't the, the, the perpetrator of, of the first things, now all of a sudden their, their acts were justified. Yeah, I punched her in the face because she pushed me. And it's like, well, that, it's fine. It's okay, right? She did it to me first. But that is not the way of the kingdom, is it? But many of us don't grow out of that. Yeah, I acted this way or I, I live my life this way because of this. And that is the victim mentality that will rob you of any power and strength in your life. And it is not a way of the kingdom. The way of the kingdom is so uh, paradoxical. It so turns it on head. It's like, even though you have been wronged, you can still live in freedom. Even though you've experienced these horrendous things, you can still walk in the power and faith of God. It's this even though kingdom. Even though your whole family is dysfunctional and a mess, you can't count on them for anything, even though that has been your life, your lot in life, you can experience the family of God, people that will love you and be with you and walk with you. Because his word says in Psalm 68, he puts the lonely into families. Even though generations of addiction have passed through your, your family line, the Lord has the power to break that in your life, that you can live and walk in freedom and that doesn't have to be your lot in life. But if we come to expect the world is gonna treat us in a certain way, that's what will happen. Number four, it keeps me a prisoner. I remain captive to a, a specific event, a season of life, a person. I may not have had contact with them for decades and still I'm, I'm, I'm a prisoner. 
Galatians chapter six, verse seven says, do not be deceived. God cannot be mocked. A man reaps what he sows. Whoever sows to please their flesh from the flesh will reap destruction. Whoever sows to please the spirit from the spirit will reap eternal life. Let us not become weary in doing good for at the proper time we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. Here's that principle again of sowing and reaping. And Scott, you can come back to the keys. If we remain in that prison, we remain tethered to those events, much of the decisions that we make in life will be based off of those things. And we make promises to ourselves to protect ourselves. And they might even seem good. For me, it would have been like, maybe my mom was an alcoholic. So my mom was an alcoholic. I am never going to drink a day in my life. And that might seem like a good thing. But it's not motivated by, by love, is it? It's motivated out of reaction, out of a response of, 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 of someone else's addiction. I'm still tethered to that event. You might make an inner vow. Uh, for me, I, I had my heart broken in high school. And I remember thinking these thoughts. And most of the time, these things happen, and we don't make these promises to ourselves consciously. But I remember, I will never let a woman hurt me like that again. And so many of the decisions now are seen through this lens of, I'm not ever going to let that out. These promises that we've made to ourselves, these seeds that have now we've sown into the ground, they're going to begin to reap a harvest. And any seed that is sown, even if it seems good, if it's sown from the flesh or in agreement with the enemy, it will reap destruction. But we want to be people of the Spirit who sow seed in the Spirit, that live our lives clean. When we pastored in Iowa City, our pastor, he would say, he, would, he talked to me a lot about living clean, living clean. And I, this is a man that I'd seen people, you know, not be great to. He experienced betrayal and people think things that are not true, all these different things. He said, I'm just gonna, I wanna live clean before the Lord. How we respond when these things happen will determine if the wound actually heals or not. For many of us, the wounds have never healed and we're still bleeding all over everyone. It's a lie to say that time heals all wounds because it doesn't. What often happens is as we remain wounded, we keep picking at it. It gets opened back up or something happens that was maybe similar to what we experienced before and the wound opens again. we can't seem to get free. So what is the path forward? What starts in an unlikely place. But it starts with the the beautiful gift of repentance. Doesn't it sound weird (laughs) that it would start in a place of repentance? wait a second, I was the one that was wronged. I was the one that was hurt. I was the one that was wounded. Why would I repent? 
Well, like everything in, the, in our relationship with the Lord, it starts in this beautiful doorway of repentance where Jesus says, you have been living this way. You have been believing these things. Stop. And now start believing these things. Start doing these things. Lord, I have made myself the judge and now I remove myself from that place of judgment and I, I give you the throne of judgment back. Lord, I have believed a lie. I've come into agreement with a lie. And so, Lord, I want to come into agreement with your truth. Lord, I've expected the worst from everyone and I want, I want to break that off my life. I want you to uproot that in my life so I can start seeing the gold in people again. Lord, I've set a path. I've been on this path and I can't seem to deviate. I find myself coming right back to the same old patterns, the same dysfunctional relationships, the same addictive behaviors. The cycle never ends. It keeps going. Lord, I want to break that. I don't, I don't want to live that way anymore. And so it's this doorway of this beautiful freedom that comes in repentance. And you've heard me say it before, repentance gets a bad rap. It's like the turn or burn, repent. There's no arm twisting in repentance. It's not true repentance if there's arm twisting. There's no condemnation in repentance. Repentance is the, the, the beautiful invitation that there's something better, there's something more. You are made for more than this, so come, so come. And repentance is when we invite Jesus into the healing so he can uproot any bad fruit, any bad seeds that have been sown and begin to sow new ones. And this is his desire for your life. This has been the LifePoint Church Sermon of the Week. For more resources, visit us at lifepoint.cc.